Yes, yeah, so what do you do? Decision-making and the will of God, I think all of us have spent much of our lives struggling and agonizing over making decisions. We want to make decisions that will please God. We want to make decisions that will be in the will of God. And somehow there's this mystery of connecting decision-making and the will of God. And how do we do it? And do we do it right? And is our decision the right one or is it the wrong one? And so we agonize. Well, today we're going to answer that question. How can we make decisions that are in keeping with the will of God and be confident and secure in our decision-making? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God... As we gather here this morning, we gather again uh, around a very significant, important question of making certain that our lives are pleasing to you, that as we make decisions in life, Lord, we want to know that we are are making decisions that are in accordance with your will. How do we do that? Is there a mystery to this? Is there something we need to know? Lord, are we missing something? Because we spend a lot of time agonizing over this. Surely there must be a, a better way, a more biblical way. So, Father, would you take us there this morning? Lead us into your word. Show us from your, uh, your uh, scriptures how we can be certain that our decision-making is in keeping with the will of God. We thank you so much that you care about us. You care about the direction of our lives. You have a plan for us. And, oh, God, I just pray that we might find ourselves... Um, being freed of anxiety and worry and resting in you and knowing what it is to live secure in you. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, you're going to need your Bibles this morning because we're going to go on a bit of a journey again because this topic is not necessarily handled any one place, but it's handled all over the place in the Scriptures. And um, it really is an important question that you've asked, and I'm glad to be able to, to pursue an answer with you today. How do you make decisions, especially, especially wanting to be certain that your decision matches up to the will of God? And how important is that? How important is the will of God? I mean, I think we better establish that, first of all, in the whole concept of decision-making, um, because... Uh, if it really doesn't matter, then we don't have to worry so much about that. But I'll just give you a few verses. You don't have to look these up right away, but because we'll look, we'll look at some more things. But Matthew twelve fifty says this, For whoever does the will, this is what Jesus said, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So when we're asking the question, how important is the will of God? Jesus says, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister, and my mother. Pretty important stuff. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. In Matthew 6, 9, 10, Jesus teaching us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's just a a few examples of things that Jesus said to stress to us that it is really, really important that we practice the will of God in our lives. So we've established at least from the start here that that knowing the will of God, that doing the will of God is crucial to our relationship with God. But 
the problem is most of us have agonized sleeplessly. We, we know this. We've read this. We get this. We know the will of God is important. And so many of us have spent lots of time sleeplessly going over decisions that we have to make. Who will be my spouse? Is it, does God have only one possible person in all of the world that I can marry and I have to find that person? Or that person has to find me? Now that's a daunting reality, if it is a reality. Or what about decisions on school or uh, what vocation I'm going to have or, or, or what house I'm going to live in or buy or, or what things I'm going to buy or what church I'm going to go to or how much I'm going to give to the Lord. Decision after decision after decision. What is the will of God in all of these decisions? And how can I be certain that I'm making the right choices? We have regularly borrowed some spiritually sounding actions when asked to do something or serve. One of the usual answers I get is, uh, yeah, I'll pray about that, which is really code for I'm not intending to do it. <laughs> the paralysis of prayer analysis. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting we don't pray. And you'll find that out as we move further along. Or there's the classic, I make decisions on the basis of this phrase, I have peace about it. Which is code for, I want to do something that I know is probably wrong, but I'm convincing myself I have peace about it. It's completely contrary to the word of God, mind you, but I've got peace about it. I don't have peace about most times when people tell me they've got peace about something. As soon as they say that, I don't have peace anymore. That, that causes a great deal of consternation in my life. You've got peace about something? I've got to hear this. That's not really a good way. But agonizing over missing the will of God is surely not exactly what God has in mind for us in decision making. There has to be a more biblical way. It seems to be the Christian way, but I'm not sure it's the biblical way. See, we've been handed down a belief uh, from the past, I think, in spite of no biblical evidence that there's one exact choice in every decision you make, and if you don't make that exact choice, you are not in the center of God's will. Now, that's a pretty heavy thing to lay on anybody, isn't it? To look at somebody and say, well, God has an exact house you must buy. God has an exact job you must do. God has an exact spouse you must have. God has an exact thing you must buy. And if you don't find out what that exact thing is, you're not going to be in the center of God's will. That's scary business. Many of us have been handed that idea, but is it a biblical one? It's to that that we want to give our attention. Because that kind of presents the idea that God has a hidden agenda for each of our lives that he wants us to figure out somehow and he's going to play hide and seek and make it really difficult for us to find out what he wants us to do. 
That surely can't be the way it is. But we live often as if that's the way it is. So our problem this morning is quite simply this. We realize that the will of God is a serious business. And decision making is a serious business. And how do we marry the two and make sure that we are satisfied and secure in God's will? Um, Maybe we should start here. What do we know about the will of God? We read in the scriptures, for instance, something like, oh, I don't know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. Are all people in the world going to come to God? Are you afraid to answer? No. But we read the text. God is not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to him. That confuses us often about passages that talk about God's willingness or the will of God. The will of God in its totality is really described in two different ways. And there are many words used to describe these two things. I'm just going to use one for each today, but you may understand them a different way. And the first is this. There's the decreed will of God. The decreed will of God. And that's simply this. Everything that happens in the universe happens based on the decreed will of God. God is entirely sovereign over all things. Ephesians 1.11 In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything. If your, if your Bibles were open there, I would have asked you to say the word. Everything who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Daniel 4.35, same idea. Throughout the scriptures, we are constantly confronted with the idea that God is sovereign over all things. Everything that happens in the universe happens on the basis of the purposed will of God. Now, in some ways, that should give you an opportunity to go, Okay, that relieves a lot of the pressure on my decision-making. It should. It should start to. In other words, the decreed will of God as it's presented in the Scriptures, as it is presented of God, answers the question how things happen or how things will be according to the decreed will of God which cannot be thwarted. No matter what decision you make, you cannot thwart or ruin the decreed will of God. We're starting to lift the pressure off our lives. God never intended for us to be sovereign. Never intended for us so that if we made decisions, God would be like, what? 
I, I got some work to do now. Let's see, how am I going to, how am I going to handle that? That never occurred to me, okay? This is not the way heaven works. So we can start to um, release ourselves from some of the pressure. And by the way, the decreed will of God is mostly information that's unavailable to us. Now I say mostly. It's mostly information that's unavailable to us, at least to discover in advance. And when we're dealing with decision-making, what we're really wanting is, God, could you please, please, please tell me what my future is so that I would know what decision to make? That's really what we want. That's the, that's the agony. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about why we do that, why we, hindrances and obstacles in a few moments. But, but really when it comes right down to it, we agonize over decision making because what we would really like is if God could just please open up, just for me, open up my future and say, here it is. Or write it in the sky. Would, you could do it, God. Tell me. Should I go this job or should I go that job? Just write it in the sky. It's no big deal for you. Wouldn't we love that? Anybody not like that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like that? I'd, I'd like that. So we want to know the future in our decision making. So the decreed will of God is one facet of the will of God. But there's a second facet of the will of God, which is the desired will of God. The desired will of God describes how things ought to be. And much of the scriptures, when we're reading about the will of God, is really the desired will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is the will of God that you would pray continually, that you would rejoice always. So regularly we read the will of God, which is the desired will of God or how things ought to be. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to know him. That's the desired will of God. But that can be resisted. The desired, who, who of us in here this morning doesn't know that already? We regularly, day by day, Resist the will of God. Do we rejoice always? So we regularly resist the will of God in the sense of the de desired will of God. And that's when we get into trouble in decision making, by the way. If we are spending a lot of our time resisting the desired will of God, we are not going to make very good decisions in our lives. If you are spending a lot of time living outside of the desired will of God, you should be very afraid of the decisions you are making. So here we have it. The decreed will of God, how all things will be, the desired will of God, how things ought to be, and all of them in the Bible are just simply called the will of God. And God, in His decreed will, even 
at times causes his desired will not to come to pass. It has to be that way. If we can resist the desired will of God and the decreed will of God is how all things will happen, he's allowed us to resist the desired will of God. But if we do resist the desired will of God, it's going to be very painful for us. That's why there is, that's why people, many people, the majority of people will perish. Because God's decreed will will allow his desired will to be thwarted by the majority of people. That's why there's suffering in our world. Because the decreed will of God allows his desire there would, there would be no suffering to be thwarted or resisted. So now we have to work all of this out in our decision making. What's the strategy? So let, let's make sure that we're not drifting too far away. Because So let me ask you a question. You can, don't be afraid to answer it. Right? I won't ask you to leave the room if you're wrong. In fact, if you're wrong, you need to stay in the room. Based on the scriptures, does God have a detailed plan for your life? Yes or no? Yes? No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think yes, based on Romans 8, 28, 29. For God works all things out for the good of those who are, love God or are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. Right? He works. That's a, that's a personal verse. Do you, here's a second question. Do you have to, dis, to struggle to discover every twist and turn for fear of missing God's detailed plan for your life? Yes. No. Hey, you know what? We could go home early. <laughs> you guys aren't in as bad a shape as I thought you were. Why did you ask me this question? I think no is right. God does not want us. God has not made us. And God, is not, God has given us his word so that we don't have to struggle and agonize over every tiny twist and turn in our lives thinking, oh, I might be turning out of the center of God's will. And when does it show up? When things get bad. And when you have some friend who comes up to you and says, well, you know what? You might have stepped out of the center of God's will. Just like Job's friends who showed up. Well, what are the hindrances? Let's quickly look at hindrances, then we're going to look at the strategy here. What are, the, what are the hindrances? Why, are we, why do we agonize at times? Who of us... Now, by the way, you got it all right, but I, I need to know. Have you ever agonized over a decision and God's will? Yes? Okay, all right. Thank you. I, I was thinking, man, am I here alone? Why do we agonize? I, I was... Uh, eavesdropping yesterday, Lynn and I, we were in a restaurant, and, and we happened upon a situation that we very quickly realized was a young pastor 
with three older gentlemen sitting very close to us in the restaurant and it appeared the young pastor was under the gun. I was feeling bad for him, by the way. I was thinking, maybe I could jump in and help this guy, but I, just, I was just like, uh, uh. And I heard him say, and I thought, I can't believe it. It's just, he says, yeah, I'm really agonizing with that decision. I'm not sure whether I should go this way or that way. I want to make sure I'm in the center of God's will. And I'm like, I could help you guys with this. So we, whether we understand about God's, the fullness of God's will and we realize that God has a, has a detailed plan for our lives and that he's directing us and helping us and, and that we don't have to agonize over every twist or turn or whatever, what we do, we do agonize. Because every one of our decisions, a decision for a spouse, a decision for a, a, a vocation, a decision for a school, these are decisions for friends, decisions for what church you go to. These are really life-changing decisions, aren't they? I mean, it matters what decision you make. So, of course, we agonize. And, and, and as believers, we want to make sure that, that, that we're pleasing to God. And, and, and it's interesting, though, when we, we have this idea, well, I've really, for the big decisions like this, I've really got to agonize with God. And, and we turn our decision-making into such a subjective experience because Quite frankly, did anybody agonize here this morning whether you wore socks to church or didn't wear socks? Or what color you wore? Did you pray about it? Did you seek counsel? Did you seek wisdom? So we take the, we, we have this sort of collection of decisions we make in our lives. And, well, that decision, I don't need to worry about. That has, that's no big deal to God. And this decision is surely a big deal to God. And so somewhere along the line, we, we draw some sort of line and subjectively say, this is important and this doesn't really matter. I think God wants us to live a lot differently than that in our lives with him. So that's one of the hindrances. The second is we're afraid to risk. A lot of the agony of our decision-making is because we're afraid that God might ask us to do something really painful, right? We look for something easier than God's desired will. We're going to look at some of the classic God-desired will things, and when we look at them, man, there's a lot of easier things we could be doing than these things. Or we don't want any bumps. What God desires can hurt. Or quite honestly, and this is sort of an affluent Western phenomenon, there are so many choices for us. I mean, when my dad was growing up, he, he had to quit school early and go to work to help the family. I would just simply get a job. And he, he wasn't sitting around agonizing, oh, with, with a bunch of university catalogs laid out before him and oh I could be a doctor or I could be a lawyer or I could be a veterinarian or I could be a salesperson no like my dad had to simply quit school at grade eight because his family was starving to death and go to work in a factory and there's where he spent the rest of his life because he didn't have a bunch of choices Man, we live in a, we live in a time where, whereby we agonize over so many decisions because there are so many possibilities for us. You go into a grocery store and there are 95 different kinds of chips. 
You know, Lynn sends me, get some chips. I got to go in the store. It's like 95 different varieties. And by the way, pick up some cereal. Now I got 275 different decisions to make as I look on all of these cereals. And then if she asks me to go to the superstore, it's double the choices. (laughs) Can't there just be one cereal and one chips? It's crazy. There's so many choices. I sit there praying, agonizing, oh God, if I don't pick the right chips, man, I'll be out of the center of your will. And if I'm out of the center of Lynn's will, it's not going to go well for me. (laughs) I was with Lynn, I I, I don't usually do this, but I was in the makeup center of a drugstore and uh, (laughs) I happened to be with Lynn and I'm like, hey, come on, like we were agonizing there for a long time buying some mascara. I'm like, hey, if you got to paint the barn, how long is this going to take? Like... (laughs) Like, just, just pick something up and, and, uh, and put it on. Like, how big a deal? Like, shelf after shelf after shelf. Let's get going, you know? It's like choices. This is a, 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 an affluent Western problem. This is our deal. Okay, so is there a different, more biblical way than the way some of us have been doing things? Take aim at God's ways. Jot this down. Take aim at God's ways and you can be certain the decisions made are God's will. Take aim. That's going to be the thesis, the theme of what we're going to look at here. Take aim at God's ways. Because here's what I believe. That God directs what he has decreed most effortlessly through those who prioritize what he desires. Let me say that again. God directs what he has decreed most effortlessly through those who prioritize what he desires. In other words, if you specialize in training yourself to decide how things ought to be, you will enjoy the very best and center of how things are supposed to be. Learn to obediently live in the desired will of God and right god will decisions will follow. Now I'm going to unpackage all that for you biblically. I want to give you five decision-making truths to help you revision your tactics. Here they are. First is this. Take aim at God's kingdom and not your own. When you're making decisions, take aim at God's kingdom and not your own. And you may need some help on the outside to discern the difference, but let's take Abraham, for example. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. This is the great story of Abraham wanting to get a wife for his son. Big decision. The big question that you're asking yourselves in decision making is whose kingdom am I seeking? Am I seeking God's kingdom or am I seeking my own kingdom? Now, Abraham had got sidetracked for a while. He had already tried to be king of his life. If you know anything about the story of Abraham, and I'm just going to have to fast track because we're not doing an in-depth study, 
But Abe had already tried some really bad ideas. He went to the wrong country. He went after the wrong woman. And he prioritized the wrong son. And in each of these cases, Abraham was seeking his own kingdom and not the kingdom of God that God had already established and told him about. So it's all kind of unpackaged here in Genesis 24 for us. Remember he took Sarah and put her at risk when he went to Egypt? After God had said to him, leave your country and your family and go to a land that I will show you. And there I will make a great nation. There I will make of you a great nation. There. There. That was God's will. There. But then we read in Genesis 13 that a great famine came upon. And so the first thing that Abraham does, rather than think about God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, he thinks about his own kingdom and says, I got to get out of Dodge. And he takes off from there to Egypt. And it was in Egypt that he learned some really bad habits from the Egyptians, not the least of which he put his own wife at risk, as you know. So he risked his wife by taking her to the wrong country. And then when she remained childless, having been promised by God of a great nation, he decided to try and make the great nation rather than through Sarah, his wife, through Hagar, her handmaiden, the Egyptian. So now he tries to make his own kingdom through the wrong woman. Another bad decision. By not taking aim at God's kingdom, taking aim at his own kingdom. And then he decides to prioritize the son of the slave woman, Ishmael, rather than the son of promise, Isaac, when he got him. And so we pick up the story finally when Abraham comes to his senses and after a number of years, and this is what most of us have to do, God has to hit us over the head with a two by four for a number of years before we finally say, oh yeah, my kingdom's not working very well. Maybe I ought to turn to God's kingdom. So we get to, we get to Genesis 24. And uh, it says, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. That's code for finally got wise. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. And so he says to his chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Aren't you glad we don't live in that day and age? Aren't you glad that when we make commitments to each other, we like shake hands or sign contracts, we don't put our hand under somebody's thigh? It's like... Okay, put your hand under my thigh. And um, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. Excellent. But will go to my country. Excellent. My relatives and get a wife for my son. He had come to recognize that over these years of very bad trial and error, that God wanted him to build his future with his own people. When you're coming to decision-making about 
getting a spouse, the, rather than agonize over that exact woman or that exact guy, how about from your people? And by your people, I mean the people of God. That, that's what we've we learn to establish in terms of understanding the decision-making and the will of God, the first step when a young person comes into my office and I'm kind of agonizing over who to, who, who's going to be my wife or who's going to be my husband. I, I don't want to step out of the will of God. I don't want to be out of the center of God's will. I say, well, I'll tell you what. I don't really believe there's just one woman or one man for you, but I do believe this. Go find someone who's a believer. Because I know for certain that you're in the will of God if you do that. It's take aim, okay? It's, it's not, what's the bullseye? I don't know. But take aim at the will of God. And then the servant says, um, uh, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? No, Abraham says, make sure you do not take my son back there. So here's the deal. Abraham is sending him out on a mission to discern the will of God for a spouse, for his son. But he is clear to, to recognize the possibilities exist that in taking aim at the kingdom of God, someone may not be willing to do this or someone may not be willing to do that. But do not divert from the desired will of God no matter what. Because God doesn't want Isaac to leave the promised land. In Genesis 13, God had said to Abraham in verse 14, when Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west and all the land that you see, I will give to your offspring forever and I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. That's why Abraham could recognize and say to his servant, if nobody will come back with you, whatever you do, don't take my son back there. My son is supposed to bring me a family from right here. So this is critical for us in decision making. Don't step outside of or veer from the desired will of God even if things aren't working out for you. I cannot allow Isaac to leave the land. If you take general aim at the big kingdom picture, God will fill in the specific details. Seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added to you. So... The servant sets out seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And an angel of the Lord intervened in this particular case and presented Rebecca. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these details 
will be added to you. But we need to know how to aim at the kingdom of God. John Piper makes mention of this. For 168 hours of every week of your lives, Satan is working to ruin your life. 168 hours every week to deceive you, to seek to have you not take aim at the kingdom of God and the things of God and the desired will of God. And we spend a couple of minutes with God during the day, every other day or every few days, your enemy's working to deceive you 168 hours a day or a week. That'd be a long day. <laughs> How much time are you spending absorbing the desired will of God in His presence to counteract so that you don't make the first mistakes that Abraham made, rather you go in the desired will of God. There's a second, and is this, the most important decisions in life are moral and not non-moral. And quite honestly, many of us, if not most of us, spend more of our time agonizing over just non-moral decisions or physical decisions than we do over moral decisions. What does, what does the Lord God require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what God wants for you. And we spend so much time the truth of the matter is, he has given to us his desired will. I want, I, can I take you on a quick survey? I, I want you to start with me at Ephesians 5.19 for a second. 5.17, sorry. Let's just start there. And we're going to flip pages from there. That'll be very easy. I can tell you for certain what God's will for your life is. Every one of you this morning. Ephesians 5.17. Page is still rustling, rustling, rustling. We there? Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart, always giving thanks to God. Submit to one another to reverence for Christ. Wives, yield to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Parents, raise up your children to love Jesus Christ. In the workplace, obey your leaders. That's the will of God for all of us. That's the desired will of God for you. Start there. 
And move through, move to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. How? Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. What's God's will for you? To know him. Keep going. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Just keep going sequentially. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What's that mean? Set apart, useful to God. That each of you, um, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Be holy. Run away from all sexuality that's immoral. This is the will of God for you. This is not rocket science. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Oh, guess what? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We could go on, but, but we need to stop because of time there. Find this in God's word. This is God's will for all of you. If you live passionately to, to, to uh, live out the will of God that has been revealed to us, which I would classify as taking aim at the will of God, all these things will be added to you. You will be a great decision maker. As for the non-moral things, the physical things, the day-to-day decisions of life, James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we will, we will live and do this or that. Live out your basic life choices and free yourself by living continually in the context of God's revealed will. Free yourself to know day by day I know that I am living in the will of God, the revealed will of God as he's laid it out for me. I am being careful to set myself apart to be useful to God. I am avoiding sexual immorality. I am rejoicing. I am praying continually. I am thankful for all things. I am learning to know who God is, understanding Him. If I am doing those things, decision-making falls into place. Thirdly, everything about the Christian life is designed around transformation and not just transportation to the next destination in life. We want to get to something. We want to get to the next place. What's the next decision, Lord? What's the next job? What's the next church? What's the next um, um, school? What, what's next? We want to get to the what's next. And God wants to get to the who we are. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with. Stop being anxious about transportation to somewhere. And start spending your time cooperating with God's investment in your transformation. You shouldn't expect any confidence in your decision-making as it relates to God's will without first the hard work of learning God think. It's not so much whether you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor, a pastor or a farmer, a truck driver or a taxi driver. It's what kind of a person are you going to be 
And God's plan is through trial and triumph to transform you into the image of Christ Jesus. That's his will for you. And that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 is so critical for us. Uh, stop being conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to know and understand God's will, His perfect will. It's when your life is cooperating with the transformation work of God that decision-making becomes kind of a no-brainer. Because you start to think like God. You start to want what God wants. You know what God wants. And in terms of a decision, you know the difference between would God want this or would He want that? Do I love or seek? Am I loving and seeking the Lord's kingdom uh, with passion? Am I or will I have to dampen my passion or enthusiasm for God by taking this choice? These become no-brainers for us. They must. Seek to be wise. Get godly counsel forth and be open to divine surprises. Seek the Lord by all means. Pray. Seek wisdom. Seek godly counsel. But by the way, don't expect God to write the answer in the sky. You look at the Bible and you see these divine encounters and you think, well, that's the way it always works. No, even in the Bible, our Bible spans 1,600 years. That's 1,600 years. And the number of miraculous times may counted on hands. There are thousands and thousands of years and millions and millions of decisions that didn't encounter some sort of angel plopping down in front of somebody saying, this is the way, walk in it. So don't expect that. It's very unusual. It could happen, but it usually doesn't. But by all means, we have to make decisions. We can't be paralyzed. Who is it that Jesus Christ rewards at the end? It's the one that he entrusted with five who got five more. It's the one he entrusted with two who came back with two more. Don't be paralyzed. Make decisions. Move forward. Open doors, listen, open doors of spiritual opportunity are meant to be entered. We don't have to agonize over spiritual decisions. That are, you, you, got, you have an open door to a spiritual opportunity, and go for it. You know, we ask the question, you know, we're trying to make a decision around here, does God want more seats in this building or less seats in the building? I mean, how, how, is that a hard decision to make? Is that a hard decision for any of us to make? Come on. Does God want more seats in this room, the stewardship of this room, or less seats? How many think more? How many think less? Well, Russ, I think you're out of the will of God. But, you know, how, how, could, how could anybody think God would want less? It's not, it's not a hard decision to make. We're not at make decision yet. But it's, it's just be, seek wise, godly counsel. Open doors of spiritual opportunity are meant to be entered. What we're really afraid of is when we see a spiritual opportunity and a door open, it's going to be painful or it might require sacrifice. Listen, don't make your decisions on the basis of how sacrificial it's going to be. It's always going to be sacrificial when God asks you to do something. Man, I, I, I asked permission from a woman in this church to tell this story about our, our seat project in here. And, and, and in her situation... Um, 
her, her spouse is not uh, on board with the Lord, and so she's got a different challenge in her life. And, and she said, but I, want, I believe God wants us to do this. How can I be involved in this? And so she decided to go and buy, some, get some things that were wrecked and fix them and sell them. And she fixes things and makes them look nice and sells them. And God sends people to her and they buy things that she has fixed. And she's able by her own resourcefulness and her own ingenuity and her, her own passion for the Lord to see him honor that, and she's been able to contribute in amazing ways to the project. This is what God does. These are open doors of spiritual opportunity. But listen, open doors themselves are not necessarily a sign of God's will. An open door, for instance, to drug running is not God's will. (laughs) Closed doors are not necessarily a sign by God that you should stop. Just because one girl turns you down, guys, don't say, okay, I guess marriage isn't for me. If it's not her, it could be her. Keep going, keep looking. Not there, maybe here. And fleeces, by the way, are not a spiritual tool unless you are a spiritual tool. (laughs) Fleeces, when Gideon laid out a fleece, why did he lay out a fleece? Because he lacked faith in what God had already told him to do. I don't recommend fleeces. Got quiet in here. We must have a fleece congregation. (laughs) Did you lay out your shirt this morning and ask God to put dew on it if he wanted you to come to church? In the house? And then lay it outside in the backyard the next night? If it's dry, I'll go to church on Sunday. Come on. When God tells you to do something, you don't have to fleece it. Random verses are not a good decision-making plan. That's superstition. I was wondering, Matt Jones, did you uh, just randomly go to Genesis 24, put your finger down and say, oh, God wants me to marry a Rebecca? Is that how that worked? We're not all supposed to marry Rebecca's. And if you just happen to put your finger, well, Lord, what do you want me to do for the day today? And you just happen to put your finger down in John eleven thirty six, Jesus wept. Oh, okay, I guess I'm supposed to cry all day. That's, that's not decision-making. That's not good decision-making. And get rid of the subject of gobbledygook, circuit prophets, wowing audiences with their... God told me this, God told me that. Are you serious? Jeremiah 23, verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. I have heard what these prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of those lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the, de- the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw 
He's comparing dreams to straw to do with grain, the word of God. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Listen, apart from the Spirit of God working through Scripture, God does not promise to use any other means to guide us, nor should we expect Him to. Kevin DeYoung. So we wrap it up this way. Make a decision. Make it, the fifth is this. Just make a decision. If you are walking in the desired will of God, make a decision. Young guys, find a Christian girl who you like being with and ask her to marry you. Stop agonizing over every different Christian dot mingle and, and single no more and dot com this and dot com that in case there might be some woman on the remote side of the world who you haven't looked at yet. Take the complication out of this. Choices. Marry the girl who's a Christian and likes you. If you can find one girl in the face of the earth that actually likes you, you ought to marry her. I'm serious. I couldn't believe when I found a girl who would like me. I thought, I got to marry that girl. I'm not taking any chances. She might be the last one who'll ever like me. And get a job. Get a job. Stop. Well, I wonder what God wants me to do. Does he want me to be this? You know what he wants you to do? Get a job. That's what he wants you to do. Get a job that isn't evil. A job. And live within, in terms of house choices, live within distance, close distance of a great church. That's God's will for you. And the goal is to use everything that you have and have been given by God to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all the other details will be added to you. Okay? Lord, thank you. Thank you once again for taking us on a journey through your word, taking some of the crazy mystery out of all of this and helping us to really understand and we just to aim at what you've revealed. Live out what you've told us. And allow the God who has a plan for our lives to unfold that plan in the basis of our seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a song worth clapping for, brother. Specialize all of your days in obeying the desired will of God. He has revealed to us in his scriptures, his will, in a variety of the realities of our life. Specialize there and you will have confidence in decision making and then make decisions from the platform of following in obedience the desired will of God and the decreed will of God will occur as his plans unfold in your life. He'll take care of the details. Seek first God, his righteousness, his desired will, and then have confidence to make decisions that will honor him. Our Father and our God, thank you for 
joining together today the understanding of the will of God and our decision making. I pray, oh God, for my brothers and sisters here this morning that we would devote our time and energy to understanding the revealed will of God. You have given us what you are requiring of us. Help us to live out that, seeking first the kingdom of God, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. And then we will know what the will of God is for us. And all these details will be added. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you. May we live confidently, knowing that you desire for your purposes to take place in our lives as we seek you. In Jesus' name I pray.